I was grown up in a, I'd say a loving home, but a stern home uh, with three sisters. My dad and mom, uh, I believe, like, like I said, I believe they loved us, but you didn't hear a lot of that. There definitely was no Christianity or church or Jesus or anything like that. My dad was an alcoholic and my mom liked to drink and they loved to fight. At 15, they fought so much that they decided to split and it really upset all of us. And so one morning I was coming down the stairs and my dad, for the first time I can remember in a long time, said, I love you. And I said, well, I love you too. Or if I go over to a friend's house, yeah, and so I left. A couple hours later, somebody pulls up, get in the car, we gotta go. Takes me back to the house where my mom and sisters are at, and a lot of people, and tells me my dad took his life. I was mad at myself for not staying, thinking I could have stayed and talked to him, and I was mad at him for doing that. So a few weeks went by, and uh, my mom and sisters and I went to a park, and. Wasn't much going on, so we went home. I remember leaving, and lo and behold, a few hours later, somebody comes and gets me, but instead of taking me home, they take me to Abilene and find out my mom had a wreck and she's in a coma. A month and a few days after my dad took his life, they took my mom off of life support and she passed away. I turned to the wild side and went to doing whatever, I was gonna be my own man. I wasn't gonna let nobody tell me what to do. Nobody's gonna be my dad. I wasn't gonna have no father. I'm gonna take care of myself. Finally moved to Abilene and was doing the same thing. I met this girl and we got married and it's because her friends was married to my friends, basically. That didn't last long, about a year and we got a divorce. A friend of mine come to my house one night. My girlfriend, my sister and her husband was there and he had just lost his baby. And he said all these women were consoling his wife and he just really needed to get someone to talk to. So I was like, sure. So we took off and went riding around drinking. He took me to his uncle's house, drank a lot more, but there he uh, said, I want, to, I want you to meet somebody. So I went in the house and sitting on a, the couch was Tracy. But the next morning, I couldn't wait to tell him, I need her number, I want to talk to her, you know, and call her. And after pestering enough, she finally decided to go out with me. <laughs> after dating her a while, I knew I, that was going to be my wife. I just had to convince her of that. <laughs> April 24th, 1998, we got married and have been married for 25 years. I took her to a Rangers game in Dallas and, of course, I drank. And then on the way home, we stopped and she wanted to look at some leather and stuff at Teskey's and I wanted to go home at Sunday football zone I kept whining enough finally she said let's go home we didn't talk all the way home got home and she said I'm done this isn't working and I said well I'm done too and so she got in her car and drove off I got in my truck and drove off I just felt something leading me toward Walmart I don't know I pulled up in the Walmart and I ended up in the Bible section and I didn't know which Bible to get but I felt like I needed to get a Bible and all these friends so I just grabbed one and I went home and I was sitting there by myself at the table and I just opened it up and there was Ephesians right off the bat you know don't let the sun go down don't be in anger when the sun goes down I was like wow and clear as day I could just feel God's presence and I could feel him saying are you tired? And I was like, yeah, I'm tired. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I can't fix this. And he said, you can't, but I can't. He said, go in there 
and ask your wife for forgiveness. Don't tell her I'm sorry. Tell her, forgive me. I went in the house. I fell to my knees. My wife was in the kitchen. And I told her, I said, will you please forgive me for everything? And she's heard me say I'm sorry a million times, but she knew something was different. I said, I just feel like God has told me to ask for your forgiveness. And if you'll forgive me, he'll show us the way. She went to one of the encounter nights, I believe, and the Holy Spirit really hit her heart. And that's when she finally come to me one night and she said, she honestly said, I forgive you. We re got rebaptized, rededicated our life uh, in 19, or in 2019, a year after we uh, were saved. I know that if you just ask him for forgiveness, if you seek him, that he's true to his word, that he will give you a better life. Well, good morning. Come on. Somebody is excited about some rain in the big country. Are you right? Let's give them a shout to the Lord. Is that not incredible? Man, we love it. Love it, love it. I know it's cold. It'll be warm like probably Wednesday, so you'll be fine. It'll all get there. Is that not a great story? You hear it's a story of hope. I, I want to encourage you. That's what we're about. Desperately, I want people in our community to have the hope that's found only in Jesus Christ. So there's often things that we do just to take small steps to help give people an opportunity. Like the Halloween outreach you've heard about. It's just a small step. It's a small thing. It's giving out a card. It's a, it's a step that we hope that somebody from it might take a step towards Jesus. And in the process of taking steps towards Jesus, they find the hope that we have. Because I can't fathom what it would be like to face the future without the hope of Jesus. And I just want as many people as possible to have. So maybe you could do it. You say, man, I don't have a group that's doing it. Okay, do it at your house. Take some to work. Get you a bowl of candy. Good candy, by the way. Don't get the cheap stuff. Get good candy. Have a bowl. Hand out some cards at work. Hand out some candy. Um, and just give people a little shot if this is a way to reach out. We think through the gift of a card. We could do just that. It is, by the way, why we go on short-term mission trips. This afternoon at the South Campus, um, there's going to be a missions fair, and you can go there and be a part of it. It's all in your park news. We go to other nations to partner with our partners to help them bring hope. Hope just like you heard in Bill and Tracy's story. Now, as, credible as, that sto as incredible as that story is, I think it forces us to ask a question. What do you do when the other person doesn't say they're sorry? Are we supposed to forgive when the other person doesn't repent? I mean, the story that Bill told is an incredible story. It's a divine, empowered story. But let's be honest. How many of us long for that day when the person who offended us, the person who hurt us, fell on their knees and said, forgive me? Who not only fell on their knees, but began acts of repentance where they actually began to change. But what about when they don't? I recently read the story of a man named Brant Jean. He's the younger brother of Brotham Jean. Brotham Jean was a young man that was killed in his apartment in 2018. You see, there was a female police officer entered the wrong apartment. At least that's what she contends. And there in what she thought was her apartment was a young black man. She thought he was an intruder, and she shot him to death. Now, at the trial, this lady, Amber Geiger, was sentenced to 10 years in prison, but then afterward, there's a victim statement, and the younger brother, Brant, said these words. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. 
And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. So here's the question, what, what brought that about? It's interesting, I, I read some stories about this encounter and Brant said, I used to talk to my friends about wanting to kill her and stuff. And then the article says, but that changed when he heard her apologize. Going through the trial, he said, I just had to hear it, the apology once. And that's like when my heart kind of opened up. Now make no mistake, that act of forgiveness was divinely empowered, just like you heard from Phil. So I am, uh, I am in no way trying to minimize, minimize the faith of that young man. But what do we do when you don't have someone who says they're sorry? When there is no repentance, when your spouse not only says that they're not sorry, but they run off with the other person. When the person who abused you never says a word about it, acts like it did not even happen. 
Come on, forgiveness is hard when there is repentance. But what about when there is no repentance? Is forgiveness required? One school of Christian thought actually says no. They don't repent, you don't forgive. And they use the words of Jesus to actually justify this. Because Jesus said in uh, Luke 17, pay attention to yourselves, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So come on, does it not seem that Jesus is saying right here, they repent, you forgive. They don't repent, man, you hold on to it. Uh, it is yours. And if this was all that scripture said about forgiveness, that would absolutely be the case. But I need you to listen to me. When we want to develop the mind of Christ, we want to have a biblical mindset about something, we don't take one passage and develop everything around that one passage. We want to look at the entirety of Scripture. Does the Scripture say anything else about the subject? And listen to me. If the Bible says a lot about something, it says a lot about forgiveness, not just us receiving forgiveness, but us giving forgiveness to others. There are massive passages. Jesus spoke on it often, like in the 18th chapter of Matthew. Starting in verse 21, he actually told one of those incredible stories of his. You see, Peter came up to Jesus and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, the, the rabbis of the first century taught, they sin against you three times in the same way you forgive them, but on the fourth one, you're done, no obligation, which led to a lot of short-term marriages in the first century. Come on, that was funny. I don't care who you are. Peter is more than doubling what the rabbi said. He, he is being massively generous. But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And just in case you think Jesus is being literal here, like we need some sort of app developed where you can keep track of somebody's sins against you. And they get to 77, and it gives you a warning. Hey, next one, you get to hold on to it. Just in case we think Jesus being literal, he tells this great story. That there was, a, the, in the kingdom of heaven, it may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one of his, um, one of his servants was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, scholars debate how much this is actually worth. But I'll tell you the general number. You ready? 12 to $20 million today. So think for a second, you owe someone $20 million. Let that sink in. If your household brings in $100,000 a year, which is almost double the average household in the big country. Average household in the big country brings in $58,000 a year. So you bring in almost double that, and you give everything to pay that debt, it would take you how long? 200 years to pay off that debt if everything went to it and you didn't do things of luxury like, say, eat or anything like that. See, Jesus is employing hyperbole here. He is being purposely exaggerative to make a point. What is the point? This is an unpayable amount of debt. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, children, and all that he had in payment to be made. Now, this is not justification for this action. This is just, by the way, it is just what they did in that day. And they actually did it for hundreds of years that when you couldn't pay a debt, you would be sold into slavery. Again, not justification, it's just what cultures did. 
The servant fell on his knees, imploring the master, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, which he knew was impossible, the master knew was impossible. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Now this is a very simple sentence. One quick sentence, and it'd be easy to blow through it and not let the weight of what's happened be felt. Can we try to feel it? $20 million rests on your shoulders. You have no ability to pay it back. The weight of what's going to happen to your family for generations is out there. And then in a single sentence, gone. He raced. He eradicated the unpayable now paid. What kind of relief would you feel? I don't know about you, but just the imagination of it, I can't even begin to describe the words. Then verse 28 starts with a conjunctive word. But, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii is not an insignificant amount of money. It would have been, according to most scholars, about $20,000 in that day. Significant, but not unpayable. But he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Think about that. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Exact same sentence. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But that servant refused, went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now his fellow servants saw what had taken place. They were greatly distressed. They went and reported to the king, to the master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt just because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay all his debt. Now, some of you are following along in your Bible and you said the words to be tortured aren't in there. I added them because the original word, the original language word for jailer is not a guard. It's a different kind of jailer. It's one who tortures because of all that has happened. Now, in most of Jesus' parables, he would stop right here. If you read most of his stories, he doesn't explain to you the parable. He gives his story, and then those who are spiritually hunger, hungry will dive in. They'll prayerfully begin to ask God to show them what this parable means and how it applies to their lives. But not this parable. I mean, Jesus wants to make sure that we don't miss the magnitude of what he's saying. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And notice, it doesn't say anything about whether he repents or doesn't repent. It doesn't say anything about whether he falls on his knees and asks for forgiveness. It simply says, if you do not forgive, the same thing happens to us. Guys, we got to let this sink in. It is one of the most sobering verses in all of Scripture. Unforgiveness produces torture. Forgiveness yields freedom. Nothing is clearer in Scripture. I can hit verse after verse after verse. When Jesus taught us to pray, we have this prayer that many people know as the Lord's Prayer. 
I'm going to challenge that in this prayer, Jesus teaches us the things that we are supposed to pray about on a regular basis. Maybe even to go so far as we're supposed to pray about them each and every day. So Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's this prayer of worship and thanksgiving. You think about it every day. I can worship God for various attributes of who he is. I can give thanks for so many things and never run out of them. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is where we intercede for all that is happening in the world. It could be in our family's life. It could be in our church life. It could be in our nation. It could be in the nations of the earth. And you begin to think, man, there's just so many things we could pray about. It would seem like I would never run out of those things. Give us today our daily bread. Every day is different. Every day we live has new challenges. Every day we need a new strength from God. Again, so this prayer never has any limit to it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The enemy never quits attacking, so we need a new strength, a new empowerment each and every day. But the line I skipped and some of you perfectionists right now are going nuts. Like you're one on the Enneagram say, you're doing it out of order. You can't do that. There was a line in there. You know what the line is, right? Forgive me my debts as I also have forgiven our debtors. Why would he have us pray this every day? The part about forgiving me my debts, I get that. I mess up, I fail, I fall. Whatever words you want to use, I do that on a daily basis. And so I need cleansing from that. But this part about forgiving others, is it such an issue that all of us need to pray about it every day? I mean, think about all the issues, all the struggles that we have. We could be talking about pride, greed, lust, jealousy, anger, outbursts, things like that. But the one specific area that he tells all of us to pray about, I'm gonna challenge on a regular basis is what? Forgiveness of others. That somehow the effects of God's forgiveness in our lives is dependent upon how I forgive others. In fact, after Jesus gives us the amen of this prayer, it's not necessarily in the earliest manuscripts, so I think it's a great way to end the prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, and all God's people said, Amen. And then immediately, it's almost as if he didn't even take a breath. Jesus hits the subject of forgiving others again. For if you forgive others their trespasses. So you pray, amen. Hey, I want to make sure you get this. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. Come on. Why such an emphasis on forgiving others that every believer I'm going to challenge needs to pray about it each and every day? Unforgiveness produces torture. Forgiveness yields freedom. You see, the foundation of our lives as followers of Jesus, the source of all our hope, everything goes back to a three-day period Jesus died on the cross, he went to the grave. I believe he went to hell itself and he overcame death, hell, and the grave. Jesus on the cross paid the penalty for our sins, paid the penalty that God might extend forgiveness to us if we become his. In overcoming the grave, Jesus offers victory to you and I over the consequences of sin in our lives. Listen to me, forgiveness can only happen in our lives 
because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We couldn't get it in any other way. But then we say yes to Jesus. We become his follower, and we are forgiven a debt we could never pay in our lives. Think about it. Our eternity before Jesus was an eternity apart from God in hell, paying the penalty for our sins. But Jesus, in Jesus, we have not only been forgiven, we have not only been rescued from hell, but we have been changed and transformed, and now I am a child of God who will spend eternity receiving the rewards that God has prepared for those that are his. I mean, think about that. Salvation, forgiveness, and new life. If it is literally heaven and hell, if it's what the scripture says it is, you couldn't ever get me to take $20 million to give up my salvation. Or 40, or 100. Give me the wealth of America. And I know some of you are thinking right now, there ain't no wealth, we in debt, agreed. But anyway, you see what I'm saying? We have been forgiven so much. And then when we refuse to give to someone else what has so graciously and generously been given to us from God, it may be the greatest act of dishonor we can have against God. And what it does is it gives the enemy the right to torture our lives. I don't think when Jesus says that unless we forgive, we won't be forgiven. I don't think it means we lose our salvation. I think it means the effects of the forgiveness of God in our lives don't exist. It's like, it's like God removes his hand to cover and the enemy just has full access. See, when we don't forgive, you know what we're doing? Come on, hell, just do whatever you want to do to me. I know we'd never say it, but it's exactly what we're having. We're opening ourselves up to be tortured. In one of the best books I've ever read on forgiveness, short, concise, you can read it, written by one of our own members, Rodney Hogue. It's just a book called Forgiveness. You can go find it on Amazon today. He says it so well. He says, the devil blinds us with this lie. Everything goes back to false beliefs. It goes back to lies. Here's the lie of unforgiveness. I am punishing my offender by not forgiving them. Is that not what we feel? It is if we think by our refusal to forgive a person, we are somehow punishing them. That is a deception. The truth is, instead of hurting others, guess what? We're actually tormenting ourselves. We become the victims when we refuse to forgive. See, forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it is one of the greatest acts of worship to the God that we can give. And catch this. Forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it is a way we love ourselves. Remember, Jesus said the second greatest commandment was to love our neighbor as we what? Love ourselves. One of the greatest ways we can love ourselves is in forgiving others because unforgiveness, as much as we think, man, we're doing something to them, it hurts no one but ourselves. Now, I'll be a little vulnerable with you here. There are things in the Christian journey that have come easier for me than other things. That's probably true of all of us, right? Facets of what God calls us to, we're more gifted in that area. It's just more natural for us. And there are some things that are more difficult. Forgiveness is not natural for me. Forgiveness is a fight. Uh, it is difficult. So if you're right now wrestling 
with the idea of unforgiveness, I totally get it. And over my 45 years of following Jesus, I've learned a few things. I'll pass a few of them on to you. First thing I learned is this. Forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. I have never once felt like forgiving anyone. Like when I'm praying that prayer, and I pray through the Lord's Prayer almost every day of my life, Father, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. And I get a name, a thought of somebody who comes to me. I don't feel like doing anything right then but opening a can of whoop on them. You know what I'm saying? I have felt that a lot, but I have never felt like forgiving. Forgiving is an act of obedience. It's an act of faith where I say, Jesus, you know what is best for my life, and you say that I need to do this, so I, by faith right now, I choose to forgive so-and-so for so-and-so. I release them to you. I plead the blood of Jesus over their life and over my life. And I go through this journey this process of releasing them to God. I've learned forgiveness doesn't mean I must trust the person. Oh, this is a big one right here. This was huge for me. See, Jesus was one time talking about how to reconcile when a person sins against you. He said in the 18th chapter of Matthew, actually right before the parable we talked about, he said, you go to that brother. If that brother repents, great. If they don't, you take a couple witnesses. If not, maybe go to the church, which probably wouldn't be a church our size, maybe a small group or something like that. You know, and if there's no repentance, he makes this statement. He says, you treat him as you would a tax collector or a pagan. Now, I thought about that. Jesus wasn't harsh or mean to pagans or tax collectors, but he put up greater boundaries with pagans and tax collectors. They weren't in his inner circle. They weren't part of the 12. They weren't in agreement and stuff. And what he's telling us here is that when you're not reconciled with somebody, when there's not been repentance, there can be greater boundaries in life. Like I've had ladies who were being physically abused by their husband. And then we'll get to the place where we have to talk about forgiveness. Like we, we're separated, we're stuff like that. And they said, there's no way I'm going to forgive them because if I forgive them, I have to take them back. And I'm like, no, you don't. And we start talking about the difference between forgiveness and trust. You see, forgiveness is what I give from my heart based upon what God has done for me in Christ Jesus. Because what he has forgiven me, I extend to that, them to that. I release that person to God. And then I begin to pray blessing on that person. God, what they need the most in their life. And often what I think they need the most of in their life is to repent. So like if they don't know Jesus, I begin to pray that they would know Jesus. If they're running from Jesus, I pray that they would turn back to Jesus. I pray blessing and the greatest blessing on their life. But until I see repentance, if it's like been a serious breach of the relationship, until I see repentance, then there's probably boundaries that go up. If it's an ongoing offense, there's probably greater boundaries that happen. The relationship becomes different. Trust is what is earned over time by the repentance of the other person. I forgive, but I don't have to extend trust till trust is earned in the relationship, right? I've also learned, I don't know about you, I've learned that forgiveness is a process. I have never forgiven anybody once and it took in my heart. I have forgiven people like probably a hundred times and it finally started to take. And you said, literally, I said, literally, I told you I struggled with forgiveness, okay? I want God to forgive me, but I just want justice for so many others. It's so inconsistent. He's getting hold of my heart. But it's usually in the dozens of times. Like there have been times where I've been praying that prayer, Father, forgive me my sins as I forgive someone who sinned against me. And a name will come up to me and I'm like, Really? It's like we, we, we've gone around this circle like dozens and dozens of times. Am I not finished yet? 
And it's like, do you want any ounce of this in your existence? I don't want any ounce of it. I don't want to have anything to do that would give the enemy any right to torment my being. Yes, Lord. I choose to forgive so-and-so for this. Forgive me for not having totally forgiven them. I want to get there. Lord, give me a power to do it. I release them to you. I pray. I pray blessing on them, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes I will have forgiven somebody, something goes great, but then the trigger happens a year or two or three down the road, and I take up a little bit again. And then I'm praying that prayer. Isn't it so gracious of God that he gave us a prayer to check this every day? Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. Lord, is there anybody I'm holding anything against right now? Is there any ounce of bitterness inside of me whatsoever? Is there any root that might be taking place? He shows you. If you're sensitive to the Spirit and you just let it go in life and you do it again and again and again until one day that name comes up and you know you're free. I've forgiven. I've learned forgiveness is a process. I've learned that forgiveness isn't forgetting. People often say, well, God, the Bible says that God does not remember our sins anymore. That is an ancient way of saying God will not hold our sins against us when he's forgiven us. See, I'm going to challenge he does remember our sins because the scripture also tells us that there will be a day of judgment. So there will be a day whether we see whether our name is in the book of life, whether we get into heaven or not. Listen to me. The only way your name gets in the book of life is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Not by your works, not by things you do. However, it doesn't mean that our works don't matter because there's another judgment for believers. I actually think there's another judgment for unbelievers. And now we're judged for what we do with this life. I believe unbelievers have different degrees of torment in hell. And I believe scripture teaches there are different degrees of reward in heaven based upon what we've done with our life. Some of you looking at me like I've gone loco. Go look at the Bible. Dig it out and see, and I think you will find that there is a reality. So I don't think God forgets. So this idea that when I've truly forgiven, I've forgotten what that person has done to me, probably is not going to happen. I will tell you that you can remember what they have done and have complete freedom and forgiveness in your heart. I've seen it. I've known it. And I've learned this. I've learned freedom isn't optional. I'm sorry, forgiveness isn't optional if you want to be free. Even as I say it, guys, I understand. I've dealt with enough people, and I know there's some serious levels of hurt. It's like some of you are going, David, if you only knew what so-and-so and what happened and how long it happened and the scars and the, I know. I know what it's like to be sitting in a fast food joint and for my older brother to say something about an older young man who sexually abused me. And it was probably 24 or 25 years prior to me sitting and talking to him. And I had no memory of it. I would utterly repressed it. And as soon as my brother said something, a memory popped in and I knew where it was and what happened. And I know what it's like to be consumed with an anger. Because all of a sudden I could look back over 25 years and so many struggles, so many problems, so many heartaches in my life because of that. And I know what it's like to have something inside of you that is all-consuming. I know what it's like to be dealing with it and stand up on a platform like this and try to preach the gospel. I get it. I know what it's like 
to forgive and be free. Because I can tell you with all certainty, I've got areas I wrestle with, but believe it or not, it's not that. I have utterly, I, I can pray blessing on that person again and again and again. I know what it's like to be free. I want you to be free. I've dealt with a lot of people, and I know this, I know unforgiveness produces torture. Forgiveness yields freedom in our lives. And I know you're saying, David, I, I can't do it. It is impossible for me to do it. So I declare over you the truth of God's word, that what is impossible with you is possible with him. That if you will just by faith grab hold and say, Jesus, I see this and I can't do it myself. Would you help me just speak the words? I choose to forgive based upon what you have forgiven me. And he will meet you in that spot and he will give you his heart. And he will empower you to forgive and to be free. This week, we're doing session eight of our Purify workbook and it is a session on forgiveness. I know with the weather we have, we have a lot of people online right now. We have North Campus, South Campus, wherever you are, I need you to listen to me. I want you to do session eight. Some of you say, David, I, I got the book, but to be honest, I haven't really opened it yet, okay? I want you to open it this week, go to session eight. Skip one through seven. You probably should go back to them later and do them because I think they'll be good for you, but I want you to do session eight this week. Some of you are new around here and say, David, I have no idea what you're talking about, the Purify Workbook. Good. Go to guest services at our physical location. We'll have a book for you there. I don't care if you're an out-of-town guest, never have any intention of coming back. Get a book. Go to session eight and do it. If you're online, you can go to our Made for More portion of our website at beltway.org. There's a PDF you can do right there. And I'm just going to warn you, if you've never done any work in the area of forgiveness, it's probably going to take you more than one sitting. Because if you really do it, there's going to be things that come to you. And it's going to take you a little time. It's okay. It'll be one of the best investments of time that you have ever made. Listen to me. I'm asking you. I'm imploring you. I want you free. And the enemy, and I've been doing this a long time now. Will you trust me? The enemy uses unforgiveness more than anything else to rob people of the life Jesus has. I want you to have life and I want you to have abundance, but I can't make you do it. I wish I could. That'd be kind of scary, me being able to make you do things, but I wish on this one I somehow had a power because I just know. I just know. I know torture. I know freedom. And I'm praying for you, praying that every single person associated with Beltway Park, if you do nothing else, you'll go purifying, you'll go through session eight. I think you should do it all. I'm doing it all. I'm right there. I'm up. I'm up to speed, baby. I'm praying for you. So let's bow our heads. Man, would you just say thank you to God what you've been forgiven? Man, I think we minimize that. I minimize that so much. I honestly at times think $20 million or my sin, and I think $20 million is more than my sin. What an idiot I am. I am missing the righteousness, the holiness, the purity of our God. 
sometimes I just need to see the hideousness of sin once again so I know how much I've been forgiven. Maybe you need to ask him to do that this week. I'm praying that each one of us will have a divine power to walk in forgiveness. It doesn't matter how long we're on this earth. Reality is we're in relationship with people. They may be saints, but they're saints who sin. That's what our declaration is. When you get two people who are saints who sin, we sin against each other, we hurt each other, we got to forgive. See, love covers a multitude of sins. That's what forgiveness is. It's an act of love. So I'm praying for a divine power. You'd ask for that power. Some of us have relationships we have to navigate. Like, what are the boundaries? And those are tough. Maybe you want to come if you're at a physical service and pray about that. Because some of us are like, yeah, David, I, I want to forgive. Okay, if I don't have to trust them, what kind of boundaries do I put up? And the Holy Spirit, I think, will show us. But yeah, some of us have to put up more and more boundaries. And maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never received his forgiveness. You do it right, you do it right where you are. Right there where you are, just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, can't fix myself. Forgive me, please. I become your follower. And if you're serious about it, inside your park news is a QR code. Use that phone of yours, sign up for baptism class, which is coming up, I think, next week. We make that next step, and I'm telling you, we're going to tell you all about what it means to follow Jesus. Father, today we are grateful. Rain is a reminder of your grace. And we need a grace, Father. A grace to walk in forgiveness. As you have forgiven us, oh God, let us give to others. And I pray for each of us this week that at the end of this next week that there will be no one in our being that we haven't at least begun the process of forgiveness and that we can walk in a freedom like no one has ever seen. Would you give us grace for that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.